The Big Innings Podcast wants to wish you a happy holidays and happy new year. In just a moment, we'll get to part two of our chat with Andrew Leonard, our final podcast episode of 2023. But first, we want to thank our listeners and thank Emerging Cricket for trusting us with this platform. If you want to increase the quality and frequency of the coverage of Associate Cricket, please contribute to the Emerging Cricket Patreon and give Emerging Cricket a follow on all socials. If you enjoy Big Innings Podcast, please follow Big Innings on Instagram and YouTube. Upcoming on our YouTube channel, Amon and I will have a 2023 wrap-up show where we will declare our award winners for this year in American Cricket. Right now, please enjoy Andrew Leonard. Yeah, Lenny, you mentioned how there seems to be an affiliation with you and the Nepal fans. Well, it's because you're a storyteller and you're telling the story. I think it, you're telling the story to the people who need the story. Nate mentioned how these people are going through a lot of tough things. I think cricket is a great escape and that you almost bring it into this movie-like feel and you put so much perspective on that final call. I saw you put it on your socials. You mentioned what you put out there. It usually isn't of you. Um, this was uh, was a first die and Rohit Baldel reacting to that um that call you know that you had and um the crowd and everything so you're a storyteller more than you are a commentator um, i think the people will appreciate that and i think that's why there's this affiliation because you at and when li- when life gets hard you look towards sport as an escape and then you provide this escape with every call that you have i think that's true of everybody and i think you do it really to the best of the lot true truly and utterly i'm not just saying this because you're on the show but you have thought about this for a while and i think this is truly something that you do quite remarkably well. I was just going to say, like all Irish people, we, we don't take compliments very well because we're not used to them. So uh, I was immediately going to try and deflect and talk about something else. But it is a great way to look at it that we are, as broadcasters, we're storytellers. And, and um, yeah, there's so many emotions in Nepali cricket that I, I think there's been an, an innate connection ever since my very first trip there. Speaking of stories, you know, you have an incredible one of your own. You know, you weren't always calling, calling games. You were pretty bright leg spinner back in back in the heyday tell us about how you kind of got to where uh you got to yeah look um i never know if i'm saying it tongue-in-cheek when i say i was one of the greatest wastes of cricketing talent uh i think i'm kind of <laughs> probably a bit closer to the boat I, you know the way you hear these guys and they're like oh i could have been somebody i could have been a contender like i probably had all the assets i needed to be but i just the, the penny never quite dropped as to just how hard the boys work to get to the top levels and uh, yeah, by the time that penny dropped, it was a bit too late for me. But I still love playing cricket. I, the only thing I dislike about my my job, I'm I'm on the road full time. Like, is is I don't get to play much. And um, now there's certain associates who I'm so closely connected with. They'll be like, "Oh, I've got a day off. Please come and bowl with us." Um, which is awesome. I, I love to still do that now. Um, and yeah, maybe one of the reasons I love the Nepal players so much is they really rate my leg spin, <laughs> and they they plumose me. And, pretend to get out to me occasionally um but no look i i adored the game yeah i i was just listening to a harry texture thing with dean duplessis here today and, and he was saying how his love of the game was built up in the in the garden and that was very much the same for me we didn't even have a cricket bat we had no cricket culture in our family whatsoever we used a two by four we used like a garden stake that was our bat for like right the way up till i joined the club our bat was a garden stake a two by four and a tennis ball and we created the, it would actually, we were front garden cricket, not back garden. We did have a big back garden and, and we created the necessary parameters to have a game. It was predominantly between me and my two older brothers and their friends and not my friends. 
And because my elder brothers were seven and 10 years older than me, I definitely got that whole younger sibling benefit of uh, being overloaded with skills. And as a consequence, then when I went to like under 11s, under 13s, under 15s cricket, I was I was very much ahead of the curve. And look, occasionally I think, God, I wish I was coming up now when leg spins understood a bit more and T20s, I think, like T20 wasn't a thing until I was 20, 20 years of age. It didn't exist. So, you know, there wasn't five fielders outside the circle and and three for 30 and your four hours is a great spell. If you went at seven and over when I bowled, they were like, get off. You've conceded two <laughs> boundaries. You need to go off. Because the average score in a 50 over game was 180. So, you know, when you went right. seven or eight and over, heaven, heaven forbid, 10 and over, God, you were chastised from the team. And there was no leg spinners in Ireland. There was one guy, uh, Connor Ho, he's one of the best bowlers I've ever seen, but he bowled kind of flat trajectory straight breaks. I didn't turn a large, large amount. I, I ragged it a long way. And look, I've had the most brilliant life experiences through cricket from a couple of years at Hampshire as a kid in their academy and um, to playing down in Australia, to playing them um, for, I played against Ireland, but never for Ireland hilariously. I played for the Welsh universities against the Irish universities. Because that's where I went to college at the Cardiff Centre of Excellence. I 12th manned a couple of first class games. I did everything but kind of make it. So, uh, yeah, if if that has ended up somehow surreptitiously leading me to the path and doing what I do now, and the main reason I do what I do now is it's the only single thing. I had a horrible phase after I left ICC where I was like, hold on, I'm old now. I can't play anymore. And I was really sad for a while. I was like, I can't play and be brilliant. And like I was there bridge, but like, you know, I, I can't, I can't make it. And the only thing that has got close to replicating that buzz of playing a high level game of cricket and getting that I got a buzz out, it was making the bats and coming down the track and getting them stumped. The only thing that's replicated that buzz for me, or even close to it, it has been commentary that, that for me, the buzz of that, I get goosebumps quite regularly when I'm commentating the final point it makes, it's not really answering your question, but. Um, the main reason I want to keep doing what I'm doing historically, not so much now, but historically, the smaller teams were covered dreadfully. Like, I mean, so badly by the major nations. I want to shine a light on those smaller nations because I come from a smaller nation. I'll never, I know we play test cricket in Ireland here. I never think of us as a test nation. I'll always think of us as, a, as an associate, as an emerging team. And I, I vividly remember the first few times Ireland were on the TV and just how bad it was like, oh, what does he do? Like, they didn't know who he was. And that's not because of me. That's because of other people doing a better job. When Nepal get to a World Cup, I, I'd love to be there. I don't know if I will be there. But I would like to think that hopefully there's ground on them and their story so that people will understand them. And the cut through with social media was staggering that I, I can meet anybody in the cricketing world. I'll usually have an intro from someone like I've got a belter of a story, which I can bore you with another time from Mumbai, meeting some of the most famous cricketers in the planet recently and they'll always introduce me as oh that's the guy who does the nepal cricket stuff and all of them will always go oh yeah that's that nepal cricket stuff is awesome like the cricket world's small enough we think it's massive and big but it's still small enough for like somebody gets a hat trick in a qualifier people know about it uganda qualify they know about it it's a long rambling answer as to how i ended up somehow transporting from a player to a coach to an administrator to a, now a commentator and, and i'm really so i can't even believe i'm saying it. i'm doing it full time i'm so yeah, I'm, I'm so lucky to be doing it full-time. I'm really happy doing it. What town did you grow up in where you played your first cricket? I, I grew up in South Dublin. Um, there was no cricket club really close to me, but there was one like three or four dart stops away, the local train. And the only reason I joined Pembroke, this is hilarious. Uh, my brother was in college in Trinity in Dublin. He got the dart each day. 
and the dart train goes by Pembroke Ground. He's like, oh, I was on the dart and I saw some guys playing cricket. And I badgered my parents, apparently from the age of five, to join the cricket club. And finally they relented when I was, they wouldn't let me go when I was seven, but I joined when I was eight. Finally relented. And like, it's it's an awesome story. Like my, my, my dad has no real background in cricket. He never played or anything. He became like the scorer at my cricket club. He is, they, they emigrated down to the Southeast. He helped found a little cricket club down there in Corey in the Southeast of Ireland. I was like recently awarded for his, his voluntary contribution towards them. I think he watches as much cricket as I do and I watch it on a holy amount of cricket. Our sport, I just wish more people knew about it because it, it is the most brilliant thing there is. And uh, yeah, I've kind of worked in, kind of worked in it really for 13, 14 years now in a number of different ways. I've loved every role I've done in it. I hope I'm right. I don't think I'll go back to do anything else but commentating now uh, if I'm lucky enough to keep doing it. Well, we certainly hope that you are lucky enough, that we're lucky enough that you get to keep doing that because we like, you know, we like it when you're on commentary because you do a good job. And part of the reason people know about those hat tricks that you talked about in Nepal is because of you and people like yourself. And we, as fans of Associate Cricket, we we want you to continue. <laughs> it's it's good for the good for the game. And we are glad that you're we are glad that your brother saw a cricket club on a, on a train there. That's uh, it's absolutely tremendous that your family got that involved in it. To me, that's one of the great things about cricket is how you know you can get involved and in it. it can become a kind of a subculture for you know family oriented if it's done the right way. Hundred percent, and that's Irish cricket to a T. It, it's you look at all the names: the Tectors, the Tuckers, uh, the McCollums, the Moonies, uh, the O'Briens, like. They're all families that are just so embedded uh, within the, the cricket community. And um, I constantly think it's a battle. Sport is now such a competitive field and we happen to have a sport that takes a, a longer time than most other sports. Well, there's versions of it that are very quick now. We can never be complacent in terms of promoting our sport and explaining it and, and welcoming people to it. Um, and the other thing I personally love about it, there probably isn't a more, I don't know, football fans will obviously argue with me in the right, but there's a more diverse sport in some ways in terms of the way it integrates communities and, and particularly in Ireland where we never had immigration ever up right up until the, the late 90s, early 2000s. It just didn't exist because we were such an impoverished third world nation right the way up to the 70s, 80s. It, it, it has brought together all sorts of parts of the cricketing world in Ireland with like massive Indian and, and uh, South African and, and Pakistani communities and Australians and, and so many of them then gone on to play for Ireland as their second home and that doesn't I don't know that to me doesn't quite happen as much in, in other sports like I know there, I'm sure there's South African and Australian guys who come embedded in the Irish rugby community 100% of course there is but it feels like a bit more utopian and diverse and brilliant in cricket for some reason I don't know why I mean, Ireland has a history with their with the Gaelic sports, and I'm sure, you know, you had a lot of friends playing those growing up. Those are really interesting, exciting sports themselves in their own right, um, and very creative. Uh, we have a Gaelic club here in North Carolina that uh, plays a lot of their stuff over by some of our cricket grounds. Uh, um, and we've I don't know how many times we've played cricket where, especially at Cedar Fork. Uh, we're on the neighboring ground. You've got some Gaelic football going on. While I'm standing there waiting to bat at number eight or whatever, I'd like to go over. At least you're getting the bat. At least you're getting to that. You know, at least you're not stuck <laughs> yeah. at 11. It, it depends. <laughs> yeah. While I'm waiting there to bat, you know, going over and watching the Gaelic football was, was always uh, a real pleasure. Were those sports big when you were growing up? Was that something that you tinkered with too? 
Yeah, look, I, I would have played all sports growing up. Um, and that I think like most young Irish kids, you you get experience and exposure to most. I was probably more B-side than the Gaelic side. I uh, would have played a lot of rugby up until uh, all the other big bad people got bigger and stronger than me. And I realized it wasn't a skill sport. And that's the thing I loved about cricket. And then, of course, you stick in the glasses. I started, my eyes started getting bad at like 10, 11. I, I, I never wore contacts. So I was playing rugby out there and I didn't see anything. But at least I could ball my leg breaks with and bat with my glasses on. That's another thing I love about cricket. Um, it's for literally all shapes, sizes and physiques. Yeah, Irish sport is remarkable as to how much we punch above our weight, given the, the, the propensity and the popularity of Gaelic sports. There's two of them. There's actually three of them uh, by their constitution. Gaelic ball. Hurling. Funny story. My roommate's yeah. mom said she saw hurling on her TV yesterday, which is just a quick side note, but there you go. You're spot on. It's played reverse handed. Your, your left hand at the top, your right on the bottom. Hurling, you, you would describe it as cack handed in Ireland, <laughs> reverse handed. And I, it's phenomenal. They hit these balls 70, 80 meters, which is in theory going against your body. Reverse so, sweep. Yeah. Well, that's that was the kind of the urban myth that Owen was a brilliant reverse sweeper because he was a hurler. And there was a tiny bit of truth to that. Like we all would have played hurling in school. And the third one's handball, which is the least popular. And there's not much of it, but it's remarkable to think that Irish sport does so well globally given that probably 40 to 50 percent of our best athletes are automatically taken by gaelic sports and the vast majority of those guys change a little bit now but historically wouldn't multi-sport they might play gaelic and hurling get football and hurling but they, they, they you don't really get guys who play gaelic football and and rugby certainly not back in my day it was you're one you're one or the other so I was a bit more down in the rugby path, golf, table tennis, snooker, squash, badminton, anything I could get my hands on. Anything was a skill sport. I, I, I turned my hands pretty well um, and adored and really didn't really encourage that. But everything was when I became a um, native before because cricket wouldn't have been very popular in that part of Dublin. And we got grants from the council to go in and seeing these kids who had brilliant natural hand-eye coordination for playing hurling and then you teach them the correct way to hold a cricket bat. They don't almost always try to go back to their reverse hand way, but you get them holding it the right way and teaching them to hit a ball and see if they loved it. And that always blew me away. And 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 I adored doing that for a couple of years. We we had great success with that. We had we had, you know, a, a wonderful little uh, domestic uh, schools competition that's had a lot of impact, uh, a bit of a legacy there with 40, 50 schools in the Dublin area playing it. Um, and all those different, I remember I coached one team in one school in, in uh, Adamstown in, in West Dublin, which that first year was the first year at a cricket club, now the largest cricket club in Ireland. Got I think, nine men's teams now. They've just got their own permanent ground, a really nice oval in West Dublin. And one of those teams I sent out with like a little primary school team, it had 10 different nationalities in it. And that was just, you know, mind blowing. You'd you had kids from Afghanistan and Pakistan cricket playing skills, but completely non-cricket playing countries in Africa uh, taking to the game. And um, the biggest thing that I, I was struck by from that experience within the schoolyards was that I actually think our product of all the kind of, you saw the other development officers going in and introducing rugby and Gaelic and athletics and, and soccer and, and all that. And I thought like, the other development officers were often jealous of us because the kids would tell them that cricket is the most fun. It was what's not yeah. fun about smashing your ball as hard as you can, throwing some stumps down, trying to bowl the other guy out and kind of running around. Like it's awesome. And that product we have in the schoolyard is so good and so much fun. And um, the kind of the, the, the quick cricket style stuff, it's a way of then translating that 
to guys getting to clubs, guys and girls, boys and girls getting to clubs and still having a good experience and having a fun experience. And the biggest thing that I would always try to do was make it fun. Um, yeah, my God, the kids loved it. It was so good. It's all about the fun. You want them to come back. That's what we play because of the value. We, we enjoy it. That's why we play. It's a hard sport. And there are a few moments of brilliance that you can have in a game uh, because it is such a hard sport. You know, there are more often than not, you're going to be kind of crappy, even if you're really, really good. You know, it's 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 just that's how difficult it is. So you have to push the, the fun aspects on the kids and let them show how addictive the game is, you know, how good it feels. Sure, you want to teach them the cover drive and all those other things, but early on, that's boring for a kid. They just want to hit the ball. They want to throw. Like you said, they want to throw. They want to bowl. And one of the things I notice about kids who are new to the sport versus kids who grew up in the sport, when you get the kids who are new to the sport, they all love playing in the field right away. As After a while, the more you get into it, the more you're like, ah, fielding, ah. Early on, when you play the quick cricket games, when you play the, the smaller games that are designed for more for more action, more inclusion, Kids love playing in the field, especially here with the kids that play basketball, the kids play American football. When when I've played with them at the gym or something, indoor cricket, they love playing in the field because you get to dive. You know, you get to dive for the ball. You get to do all the athletic things. You know, and meanwhile, I'm playing at my club and everyone's waiting for the for the 12th man to come off the field so that he can come back on the field for them, for them so that they can go, you know, eat a snack or something. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just funny how different kids view it when they're brand new to the game yeah absolutely I, look i think we've got a great product and i would hope that the days are, are gone of clubs now welcoming kids and you know it's 20 lined up and you get one catch and then back of the line there's so many dynamic ways to introduce the sport to kids and the game that can kind of be played anywhere at any point i, I hope we can keep introducing people to it because it's such a gift i always took from the schoolyards was like even if they don't go out to necessarily play for Ireland or even play long-term in a club, just introducing them to it, getting their awareness about it up. They could become a fan. They could become that's it. Answer, they could become a, an administrator. You never know. And that's something with them. This uh, introducing the sport indigenously. Something like Malaysia has got like more than 250,000 young cricketers um, in its program. You've got countries like, again, Papua New Guinea doing a brilliant job introducing it in their own way. Africa is an absolute bastion of cricket development. They're doing it with some limited facilities at points in brilliant ways. And the athletic talent in Africa is just mind-blowingly impressive. So I'm really hoping that we can continue to find a way to introduce more and more people to the sport. And obviously an expanded World Cup going back to the top level is a critical part of that because now every single kid in Uganda is probably going to grow up wanting to bat and bowl like Alpesh Ramjani and bat and bowl like Riziat Ali Shah and, and Maybe, who knows, Frank and Sabuga can be the kind of folk hero of the whole tournament at the age of 43 or 44 or whatever it'll be. Yeah, and you said it there, making fans. That's the biggest thing. Because at the end of the day, that's what we are. Take everything away. If, if I stop making podcasts with Almond tomorrow, I'm still going to be a fan. Ultimately, that's the most important thing. If we're all fans. We don't stay involved in this for any other reason. And so- 100%. Making new fans is the most important thing, and that's what playing the game makes new fans, getting kids to play the game to try it. Whether they might try it three times and then go back and, then, oh, well, I'm cool. I, now I understand the game. I just want to watch it on TV, whatever. But making fans is, is critical. And that brings me to kind of our final point. You talked earlier about the couple of guys that you met down in Florida at the Ireland uh, match from, from Las Vegas. Now, I know those guys. Uh, they're Cricket for Americans on YouTube. 
and they've been making cricket content for a few years now before that series, and that was their first cricket they saw live. Uh, Gajanan Singh became their favorite player after that. I talked to them about that. They make a lot of cricket videos, the reaction videos, things like that. People like to watch people on YouTube discover something. They love to watch people discover the thing that they love. It's, it makes people feel good. And so they kind of made a, a brand out of that. Now, recently, they just kind of went on an indefinite hiatus for cricket content. They actually make content about movies that they like also. So they already had that, that audience. I talked to them about that and they said one of the reasons was it was almost impossible for them to find footage that they could use for their videos uh, without getting their, their YouTube account shut down. Now, all they're trying to do is share the game, show people what it's educational, basically. It's just, uh, you know, yes, it's entertainment, but but they're they're just trying to show people how much they love the game and explain it to people and, and let people watch as they discover new things about the game, just fandom. One of the reasons they stopped was because they just can't get footage. They can't, they don't want to take a risk. And they understand that people come from really hard after cricket stuff. We can just look at Robolinda 2, the best example in all of sports for a casualty of copyright. Uh, and unfortunately, Robolinda is a victim of not even a big entity. It's not like NBC came after them or something like that. In the cricket world, it seems riskier to use cricket footage than it is to use Disney footage for things. You know, in Disney, we know they protect the their copyright very, very well. But with cricket, it seems like it's just the riskiest thing in the world to use ICC footage. Yeah, look, uh, I, I utterly understand the, the question and, and I guess the frustration at points. Um, in essence, the way it kind of works in cricket, the only reason I've got a little bit of insight on this is that when I was heading up the digital side of things at the ICC, I was actually in the media rights department. So it was called Media Rights Broadcast and Digital. And um, I will be totally honest, I knew nothing about media rights entering the ICC. And even having left the ICC after three and a half years there, I, I'm not proclaiming to be any expert by any stretch either. Cricket is somewhat unique in, in parallel to the other world sports with regards to the fact that the media rights value directly funds so many aspects of the global game. And that's obviously for the associated nations that we care about is most prominently through the form of the ICC's media rights deal for their major events uh, that then obviously uh, drives a huge amount of the ICC's revenues that are then all distributed back down to the members. And some people sometimes people forget that about the ICC. They're like, oh, well, the ICC's got all this money. Why don't they do all these things with it? And the ICC doesn't actually have the money. They they accumulate all the money and then they distribute it back to the members. That's their role. And and naturally, when you've got 1.2, 1.4 billion eyeballs in India, let alone the rest of the kind of the subcontinent nations and then uh, the bastions of South Africa and, and England and Australia added, you've got, you know, a pretty valuable product there with probably a couple of billion eyeballs that is sensitive on a media rights basis because of the propensity of 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 um content and pirated streams and pirated things. And if people are paying literally billions of dollars, which is exactly the case in the ICC major events calendars, you can understand why cricket seems to be so incredibly sensitive. feel desperately sorry for the Robbie Linda situation because he was not commercializing or monetizing his content and he was abiding by every fair, fair use regulation, having physically recorded every single one of those errors and errors and hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of hours of content himself from the television when it was broadcast and then digitized it. He did a wonderful service for the, the sport of cricket and any fan would tell you that. And actually, I think fair play to the ICC. I think they are trying to assist him 
and getting that overturned, and hopefully it will be. It's it's deeply frustrating at points, and then you stick into the the kind of the mix. Obviously, all of these massive social media uh, megaliths have their own kind of ecosystem. And I remember when I was at ICC, I was like, oh, we've got this awesome clip of Wahab Riaz bowling to uh, Shane Watson at the World Cup. Can I put it on Twitter? And they'd be like, no. I'm going to put it on Facebook. No. Like, Why not? Like, everybody's going to want to see it. They'd be like, oh, yeah, but if we put it on there, then anyone could take it. Got to keep it on the ICC website and ICC app. And that's all our rights deal in that previous cycle, 2007-2015 allowed us to do. So, look, it's ever-evolving. I can understand the frustration, but I can also... I think it's important to get across how the sport is funded and how, you know, without the couple of million dollars per year that each leading associate would get from the ICC, how much more difficult their job would be. Like the vast majority of associates, you'd love them to become a bit more self-reliant and self-dependent, but the vast majority of the associates are very heavily reliant upon that ICC funding. So I totally get it. And I think it's a protectionist view that they take with their footage. And I hope there's ways in which you can use some of the educational footage better. And there might be a system in which they could employ or people could apply to that and say, well, hold on, I'm trying to actually infuse cricket in America like those guys from Las Vegas were. Can we please get five minutes per hour or something of a carve out where it's purely education? We're not going to monetize it. And that I think the ICC will be open to, but I cannot explain how complex these media rights deals are. I'm pretty sure the previous media rights agreement, which was with that point Star Sports, was... 250 pages long. I'm not a big money guy, but these are billion dollar deals that bankroll the sport in some way. And we could argue till the cows come home about who should get what cut of that pie. But without that huge sway of money coming in that's being driven, they, they'll they make an argument 80 or 90% by Indian eyeballs. But I think a bit more realistically than that, if India don't have anyone to play against, well, <laughs> they're 0%. So you have to at least cut that in half for me because it's when it's India, South Africa or India, Afghanistan, you know, only 50% of that's coming from India for me. But anyway, that's another day's work. It's a really complicated subject matter. And ultimately, I would love more cricket content out there. And I'm sure I'm at points pushing the boundaries with some of the stuff I share. And I learned that, you know, here in Zimbabwe during the Cricket World Cup qualifier, which is a commercial event. Um, and within the previous ride cycle, where I, I think I took a video of the Nepal National Anthem the first time they, you know, were, were playing up on Star Sports and all that. It was all exciting. The first time in a long time. And, you know, immediately one of, one of my former colleagues was like, Lenny, you can't post that. I was like, but when I'm just taking a video of the, and I know it's a commercial event, you can't post that. Yes, sometimes it's frustrating. And I totally get that. And I worked in that department and I still don't understand it all. It's that complicated. And I can understand how frustrating it is, but it's just such a massive amount of money. And I guess they want to protect that. It's the only way I can explain it. I mean, I think it goes into the negotiations of that of that contract because we look at our our sports here, our our professional sports here in the USA, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA. NBA has long said, take our stuff, make content about it, spread the game around. You know, do our work for us, basically. Of course, they have to have that worked in with the the people who are buying their rights are. NBC, our massive, massive uh, organizations, you know, NBC, uh, Fox, CBS, you know, all these huge American broadcasting. And then, of course, abroad, they have their own deals, too. The majority of the money that comes into these sports is from these contracts as well. I guess they must have something worked into these contracts that allows this type of sharing of their uh, copyrighted material that which I hope that the ICC can you know, eventually, like you said, when they make these deals, they make them for X amount of years. So sometimes you're stuck in in a tra- in a period where 
the world's leaving you behind and you just, you have to adhere to your contract. You know, uh, you can't just riff and make it up as you go. You, you've signed a contract with someone that's 250 pages long for a four year cycle or however many years it is. So you're stuck, you're stuck in that case. I'm hoping they have the foresight to, to kind of do what, what the NBA has done and, and make space for creators to, to spread their, their game. And it's kind of a thing that benefits both sides. Like you, we, we know about John boy, who's made a, made a living now out of sharing, you know, baseball clips and also now, now cricket clips. And he's doing quite good in this, in this regard. And, Making space for guys like him or for people to become like him is kind of an important thing for sports to do. And we're hoping that they do it. Amin, you're a young man. You're only 20 years old right now. And you're graduating college this year because you're a prodigy. Um, but uh, <laughs> but Amin, you're young. You've grown up in this sports culture where a lot of it's online. Probably your whole sports loving life has existed during YouTube when you can, you know, you can consume whatever sports you want on YouTube very easily. It's very hard to do that with cricket. What are your thoughts about this? Uh, it's really interesting because a lot of times you won't get like match highlights on YouTube half the times anymore. You know, like if I miss a Pages game, or I want to go back and watch a little bit of the Pages game. There's a highlights on YouTube about 30 minutes after the game ended. Highlights are out. What it does a lot of these cricket matches. They're not on YouTube. Some are, some aren't. It's really confusing, and again, I think it comes from again. You like you said, I grew up on everything's online. Uh, we talk about streaming platforms where you know things are no longer on regular television anymore, where things are being moved behind a paywall. Thursday night football is behind a paywall, um, in the states, right? You have to go and watch it on the Amazon Prime stream. So there's all these, you know, growing up the way we did, it it feels everything's moving this to this area of streaming, of being online, of being fully available in this direction. And, you know, maybe it's just you're stuck in a deal, but it does feel there's a little bit of lag time almost with the cricketing world of, okay, with, you know, all these major sports starting to move to YouTube TV, to Amazon Prime Video, to whatever streaming service, you know, Peacock is holding games, NBC streaming platform, they're having Sunday Night Football games on there. Now the cricketing world seems to be kind of only in one area. It's an interesting kind of comparison that I I kind of make every every week or anytime there's either sporting event on. I think sorry sorry there. I think one of the, the the big challenges like we've just spoken about the ICC there, but if you look at let's say the the twelve uh, full member nations who almost all of their international sorry all of their internationals will be broadcast to a, a very high quality, and all of their franchise leagues will be as well. Like it, it's just there's such an array of rights. And so many different stakeholders within that, and naturally, because there's such a different value to those from like an India to a New Zealand to a West Indies to an Ireland to a Zimbabwe, um, that there hasn't been kind of a collective thing. Like my dream would be that you know, much like a NFL Game Pass or the MLB TV, that you could just as a cricket fan, wherever you are in the world, whoever owns the rights, you could pay a hundred bucks a year or whatever it is, doesn't really matter figure and be able to access everything legally because the problem is with, with the protectionism you then kind of get driven to illegal streams like if i could download an app and have cricket the cricket app or the cricket.com or whatever it would be called and know that i can watch every ball of everything on whatever device i am i'm in a hotel room here my smart tv my laptop i'm on to you my my uh, tablet that's here to my right my my phone that's here i would i got it pay whatever it doesn't matter for a month and the problem is like i think 
utopianly in a utopian fashion, that's where we'd love to get to. The problem is so many of these rights deals have different lengths of time that like they don't all end at the same time. And then the biggest difference with like, I think a rugby or a basketball or a baseball, and you guys will tell me better from the American sports end. And I'm not saying cricket isn't commercial. It is, but it's so heavily reliant on those media rights fees. Like you compare that to an NBA game where they're selling $300 a game tickets. The Rugby World Cup, every ticket was like over 200 euros, 200 pounds, and every seat was taken. And they were getting millions, mega, mega, mega millions from bums on seats and merchandise. And, and you know, whoever it was, it doesn't matter, the Land Rover, these other sponsors uh, sponsoring the tournament, like mega millions. So they have a very diversified income stream, whereas I think one of the challenges with cricket is even though we, you'll see the commercials and you'll see the banners and stuff, when you actually drill down to the numbers, the media rights is like such a massive proportion of it. It's like if you just look at an eight-year cycle, all the ICC's money, I would say about 80% of that's from that media rights deal, probably more actually. So it's so heavily reliant on that. And then there's the complexity of all these different boards either running their own tournaments or maybe sometimes a third party like the CPL isn't owned by Gregor West Indies. That's you know being sold out to the guys who run the CPL. There's so many different stakeholders and so many different broadcasters and so many different media rights owners that it's almost impossible to get it to a point whereby things are are everywhere. And some boards do a brilliant job of it. Like Cricket West Indies always have their highlights packages up within an air. I go on and watch because West Indies is my team that I grew up with. So every time I miss a game, I'm straight on up my highlights package on YouTube. And they get a they get a YouTube ad view for me every time. I'm happy to do that. You wish there was some big picture thinking and all the politics came out of it and those 12 full members, let alone the associates, could all just get together and say, hold on, even if we pooled our dark market rights, and when I say dark market, basically what that means is places where, let's just use Pakistan as an example, where they don't have media rights deals. So Pakistan will have media rights deal in Pakistan and in India, in probably in Sri Lanka, in Bangladesh, in England, in, South Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa. But there'd be loads of dark markets. Willow TV might not own the rights for Pakistan. I don't know if they do. They probably do, actually. But there'd be, even if you just took all the dark markets, there's probably still like 100 territories there. But they just say, all right, stick all the dark markets onto this utopiancricket.com thing. And this would be free money. So literally, be again, you'd have to work out the revenue splits and stuff. But there's, particularly with the diaspora that have, and the way people move around the world now, there's so many people from the subcontinent in America, in, in mainland Europe, in, in different parts of Asia, in Africa, in South America, that there'd be a really big market for those, just the dark markets as a starting point. And I know even back as far as seven, eight years ago when I was at ICC, there was a bit of talk of it, but it's just so complicated. It almost, you'd feel like you just need one person to come in and go, hold on guys, this would be good for all of us, even the bigger guys. And it's free money. But it, it's, I don't know if it's going to get there, certainly in the next couple of years. Well, well, let's hope it does. I mean, one of the things I loved about Robolinda too is it's this massive collection of curated, interesting cricket, you know, that... Iconic. <laughs> It, it, it's great. And and following him on Twitter, he still shares videos. Follow him on Twitter. He still shares videos here and there, and it'll be something as simple as lily bat with an aluminum bat and then throw it across the field. You know, like little things like little things like this that he'll have on there. I don't know if he has that particular clip, but I think I did see it with him. It yeah, it's, <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just it's so, it's curated. It's there. You know what you're going to see is interesting for some reason or another. You mentioned it with the NBA, the NFL. You're under you're in one area, so you kind of have one sets of people that you have to appeal to. Versus when you're talking about the world game of cricket, you have so many different eyes and so many different time zones, and it 
holds up streams all the time. When you talk about getting one right sponsor, it becomes very difficult because of how companies work in different ways. Um, and it is frustrating for sure, but it seems to be cricket to be frustrating uh, in a lot of terms. But I think there is, like you mentioned, a good outlook for the ICC and for us to have that things are last four years, things got a hell of a lot better. So next four years, it could probably get a hell of a lot better as well. And just improving the broadcast quality of associates to me should be a big priority. If they can improve that broadcast quality, then you'll have people who actually really want to share that footage, which is going to create some demand a little bit too. Because yes, you know, people are getting in trouble for sharing some footage, but as you increase the production quality, you're going to increase the reach because people will want to show that. And yeah, we, we've said that they don't want a lot of people sharing stuff, but it's good to have people who don't want to share stuff. Yeah. And look... I think there is a massive frustration with all of this because ultimately you go back to the point we're all fans. We all just want all of this footage to be available firstly to us and to other people. And we want to see other people enjoy it, engage with it. There's an element, forget about whether it's an ICC event, they're actually usually pretty good at making sure that they're all accessible from all over the world. But particularly some of the individual members, international cricket, which you know is under threat from the, the way that the, the cricket calendar is run now sheer amount of franchise leagues there are so it's more important than ever you should be able to watch the you know west indies england series whatever part of the world you're in or get access to it and engage with it in, in some capacity digital is a massive part of that like Amon said and i'm really interested to see amazon prime video take the uh, rights for australia for the next four years for the icc events be interesting to see what happens with that but i think it, we're doing ourselves it's not just frustrating we're doing ourselves as a sport a disservice and we're bearing into international cricket in particular is almost self-harming if we don't make our live content available at a very minimum and in an ideal world very consumable highlights across multiple platforms got a well-publicized deal with meta so they have all of their video content exclusively onto facebook and instagram but that's fine because these fans know they can go to one of those two platforms and access that that's that's no problem with that and i believe meta are paying icc good money for that that's that's great that's bringing money to the cricket ecosystem but it's like we're not popular enough or big enough. We're not like football where we can afford our international game to just be hidden behind a random portal because of a certain media rights deal that was in place. We have to make it accessible. That for me, particularly as a broadcaster now, as a commentator, there's nothing more disheartening than thinking that, well, hold on, is anyone even watching this? And, and okay, is the, is the platform that we're on, we won't name names, is the platform that we're on even up right now? Is it even working? Like that <laughs> is, is that kills my soul man it's terrible you've flown halfway around the world you've got up at 6 a.m i've got a call time of 7 a.m tomorrow morning for the zimbabwe ireland odi i'll be up at six and it's like you yeah. give your all to do as good a broadcast as you can and then you find out people i'm not saying that this series but you know other the portal's dead or the internet's not connected or, or people can't watch and I'll usually only know because someone WhatsApps me. My dad will WhatsApp me and be like, I can't watch you. What's going on? And like, oh, it just kills you. It does. Like, okay, ultimately, yeah, you're still going there to work for the day, but you you know, you know, want it to be meant, mean something and you want it, people to engage with it and enjoy it. And also, from our point of view, if, if we're going to stay up until 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning for a game to start, and, and then you get there, you get ready, you're ready to watch it, and the stream is interrupted several times, or you're watching it and it's great, 
And then what happens is it goes to a commercial and it's the same commercial of the 30 times in a row. And that commercial is like 20 decibels. You know, it's like you're watching, yeah. you got it on low because it's three in the morning. So you're watching the game, trying to listen to Andrew Leonard here. Then all of a sudden you get to this, this advertisement and it's like, blah, you know, just really, really loud. You know, you have to just sit there ready to mute it when the commercial comes on. I'll take that over the other problem for sure. Over it, not working. Yeah. Right, right. Can, can we get to a point where everything just goes smoothly a couple times in a row, you know? Yeah. And look, the only, we're not calling out any individual platforms or countries or, or, or issues that have been had here. The only tiny defense I'm going to give in the associates case would be talking about full member franchise, all sorts of cricket there. The only small defense I'm going to give is like when you go to an associate country, the scale of infrastructure that you will have is at times close to non-existent. And it's almost miraculous that some of these broadcasts get it. It really is. It's not like we're in the Gaddafi Stadium in Lahore with 20 fixed camera positions and, you know, a satellite truck and, and fixed uh, fiber cable internet. Like, these are first first world problems in, in the full member nations. They've all got stadiums, which have all the sure. infrastructure you would need. Good probably with the exception of Ireland, ironically. Um, but some of the places we go to broadcast from are very, very rural very rudimentary, often in, in developing nations that don't have. So I'm more frustrated than anyone they don't work from there. But equally, when you actually, like, I think to Port Moresby, how we got that broadcast out of Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea, or what the guys are doing right now with the women's out of Kampala in Uganda, it's 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 actually amazing that we're doing this. And it's the first, like you said, Aman, it's the first time that they've done it. It's four years on now. I, I really hope we come 2027, come the end of the next cycle, we're going, God, that was, that was actually really good there. And, and we'll have learned a huge amount from it. And from what I gather without giving too much away, I think all the talk from within the ICC is that uh, in 2024, sort of middle of next year onwards, our deal, which was kind of briefly extended just to get us through what we needed to, as the two major rights deals crossed over, I think come kind of June next year, we should hopefully see a, a, a somewhat of a significant upgrade, which is really exciting. And, and just to illustrate your point, I mean, the, the, the hoops that you had to jump through just to get on this, on this Zoom meeting tonight... <laughs> <laughs> there in Zimbabwe, and I'm in a, I'm in a full member nation here. It's not, we're You're not in a full member Exactly, right. exactly, exactly. It's it's you know there are a lot of struggles that we we don't want to minimize them when we when we complain. It's just you know we we want the best for the sport. We want the sport to be uh, shown in the best light. And sometimes there are infrastructure problems that go well beyond cricket. Uh, and it's kind of a, you know, like you said, first world problems. <laughs> now, I always say, just look at county cricket four years ago, three, four years yeah. ago. How much the broadcast, most of county cricket used to be single fixed camera. You got to imagine the guy taking a catch. And we're lucky we don't we don't have that very often anymore with with associate cricket, even with uh, with especially with Cricket World Cup League two level associate cricket. We talked about how much better cricket's gotten in these countries. And as that improves, hopefully the the urgency to broadcast a good quality broadcast of this level of cricket increases. Because because really, think about this. You had recently, you had in the Challenge League, you had Canada in the Challenge League. Well, Canada, if you're going to play, if Canada's going to play USA, who's in the Cricket World Cup League 2, let's say they play five games of, of, of 50 overs cricket. That series is ending three to two, one way or the other. And I don't think either of us could say which team's going to win that uh, with, with certainty. That's two levels of cricket there. And now, obviously, Canada's worked themselves up to a promotion. And then you go to the top level of Cricket World Cup League 2. You compare 
the top teams in the right conditions against Zimbabwe or against Ireland. You have them play against each other. And I don't know if you and I could pick who's going to win that series either. And then you take a Netherlands and you play them against South Africa. And we just saw how that went. If you, the Netherlands plays South Africa in a five-game series, it wouldn't surprise anybody. I don't think it shouldn't surprise anybody if uh, Netherlands won two of those games. And I think we, we would all just kind yeah, of like, that's that that's expected. Certainly there's a, there's a, a such a, a competitive quality now between all of the sides ranked, I'd say, particularly between like sixth, seventh in the world all the way down to about 30th. And sometimes I say 30th, they go, you mean 20th? And I'm like, no, Ireland, Ireland got beaten by USA when they were ranked 30th or 32nd in the world in in in, uh, in Florida. And that didn't feel like a surprise. And they should have won no. the series 2-0. And, and we're going to see this at that T20 World Cup, which we keep coming back to next year. We're going to see upsets. We're going to see sides that have uh, specifically a focus on just that one format. Someone like Uganda, I know they're going to play 50 over cricket in the Cricket World Cup Challenge League, but they have a massive focus on 20 over cricket. And that sometimes uh, disadvantages and handcuffs Ireland and Zimbabwe a little bit because they're kind of trying to still focus on test cricket and juggle the three formats. That's almost a disadvantage to them, but they get a hell of a lot more money from the ICC as a consequence of being a full member. So I'm sure they can they can cope with that or, find, or they should find a way to cope with that. But look, the, the, the ultimate point is is that the game has never been more competitive across deeper levels of the sport which is is a fantastic thing to have and i guess my only crying wish from all the work that we do out of these pathway events in particular I, I, you know the crick clubs team and the img team deserve huge credit for the, the lengths at which they go to and the hours in which they work and the, the circumstances they battle to get these broadcasts out my only wish would be that we could have a, a few more eyeballs on it post it actually happening at that exact time. So obviously you can log in and watch the stream as it happens, but now you've yeah. got work and, and two kids to look after that day. You can't watch that day. But hold on, you want right. to tune in the next day. And then like sometimes the highlights are on ICC TV and they got better at that recently. But then, right. you know, maybe there wasn't any clips of like the amazing moment. And you're like, well, why? why? Like that's Sikander Raza last delivery to Uganda, the first ball of the 20th over. It's literally like they, they put no work into this. It's just the clip of the ball. Uganda's printing off knowing they've beaten Zimbabwe for the first time. They've beaten the full member for the first time. It's done 25 million views on the ICC's platforms. It's right. taken no effort. And like People want to see it. Their digital output. Yeah, and their digital output, like the NFL's digital output and all the other major sporting nations is judged on view. Yeah. So it's like, why are we why are we doing more of that? You guys own that. You know, or, take, or, and not only, as much as you want. And, not only more of that, put a little bit of context in there. Talk about how people flew there, how they saved up for 18 months to fly there to see this happen and then show that celebration in that context. People want to see, they want to know these stories. Rwanda, for example. Goodness gracious, Rwanda was in a World Cup qualifier. There's more T20 played in, in Africa than anywhere right now. Rwanda beat Uganda yesterday. You're not going to believe me. So there's the Africa Cricket Association T20 Cup, which has changed format a few times a little bit. And okay, it might not be a completely fully strength uh, Uganda, they're missing Rizad Ali Shah and Ranat Mattel. They, it's an official T20I. It's in the rankings. They're 62nd sure. in the world. They've just beaten Uganda. Yeah. We're to the World Cup. Like, yes, it's they're great. They're two runs. I think it was in Benoni it was yesterday. It's fantastic. Like, that's not that's not even a story. Like, yeah. why why are we not hearing about that? And again, that's not the ICC's fault. That's a tournament run by the African cricket. Like, we're not getting into blame or yeah. There's there's sure. no like. It's, and there is a massive problem with the cricket calendar being so crazily congested. It's like it's tough. Attention to, but there are and, so many 
so many good stories out there that, that if we're go going to all this length to broadcast it all, it would be great. I don't know, maybe it's a case of the, the, the associations themselves need to be given the power to, to promote and use those clips and, and publish those highlights a bit more. Maybe that's the answer because it, it's unrealistic to think that during a Cricket World Cup in India, at the same time there's a T20 World Cup qualifier in Nepal, that the ICC's channels are going to have a load of Nepal clips. So maybe okay. the answer we give, you know, Nepal cricket, the past can, you know, learn the individual nations um, or the players themselves. The players, the access. I can guarantee you that Harry Tector or Josh Little would love to have used their personal reach on their social media channels to show that amazing last ball, second last ball win over Zimbabwe two days ago if they'd be given the clip packaged and manicured you know, the rights to it, you were playing it. So there, there's Great. there's ways around it. And I think even yeah. though Aman has grown up purely in the digital age, because he's 12 or 13 years of age, I can't remember his exact age right now. Um, <laughs> always, 18, always, always. Young Aman, that's all I know. But um, I'm joking, sorry. But I know he's grown up entirely in that age, but it's still very new for cricket, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because we evolved. And we embrace technology in so many aspects of our sport so brilliantly, like Hawkeye, like all aspects of our playing cricket that have evolved so wonderfully. And we've probably got the best decision review system of any sport in the world, so much so that, you know, other sports look at it and they're like, how does cricket get it? Tennis is a shambles and football is an absolute on shambles. And I know that NFL has its challenges and all the other ones do. So it's like we embrace it so brilliantly in so many ways. Yeah, I think you're right on the whole. It would be great to find ways to hopefully get that better in months and years to come, particularly with the amount of effort we go to. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, Lenny, it's been it's been a great chat. You need to get some sleep. You need to basically take a take a nap before you being Peter Delapena before you head over to to do some commentary tomorrow. It's getting late for Amon. He's so young. He's <laughs> no, but he's... the jokes just keep on coming. <laughs> no, Amon's got some. Look, some of us got bedtimes. All right, some of us got bedtimes. It's okay. <laughs> No, but Almond's got to be got to do some important college things with his buddies over there. They got the one of those little hats with the pinwheels. They got to spin around. Lenny, it's been great to have you. It's always good chatting with you. It's uh, this is the the only man in the world who can simultaneously broadcast, do commentary of cricket, and also text on WhatsApp at the exact same time. Uh, a skill and that post I on socials. I can't tell you how many times I'll message Lenny and I'll be like, hey, then he'll be like, oh, thanks a lot. And if somebody does the same to me when I'm doing commentary, I see it like three hours later. You've got skills that we aspire to, or at least I aspire to. Amit's pretty good at that too. But uh, but thanks nah, for joining I aspire us. to be a lot like Lenny for sure. Thank you, Lenny. Yeah, guys, thanks a million. Honestly, uh, so cool to be on with you. Uh, don't know how long that was, but it, it bros by. Yeah, really, really hoping uh, in whatever 2024 for that that World Cup in particular. I, I think you guys will have a massive role to play to play in, in promoting it and making it as wonderful as it's going to be. I'm like a kid at Christmas six months out already from having having been around all those qualifiers. It's going to be going to be epic. Oh, we're hoping that you play a central role in it for sure. If if there's any justice, and uh, that that's the best the best way to maximize that. That World Cup is to have Andrew Leonard right in the center. Thank you, guys. Thanks for everything. Great job. 